Well, good morning, everyone. Please join Philip in standing with us. Let's worship together. Closes in. 
Titus chapter 3, beginning of verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, 
whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Would you take a moment and welcome those around you? You may return to your seats and you may be seated. While you're returning, good morning. Welcome to Northside. I know this may, for some of you, this may be your first time here with us. We want to welcome you. Uh, just let you know that we're so thankful that you are here um, to worship with us. Uh, if this is your first time, I, I pray and hope that you feel welcomed, um, that you feel just, that we're just a, a group of people, men who love Jesus who've been saved and changed by Jesus, and we want to share that love with you. Um, and, and that's our ultimate desire, is to see each and every one of you knowing Jesus and following Jesus and becoming more like Jesus and serving Jesus, and, and that's why we exist. So thank you for being here. If this is your first time, we would appreciate if you would let us know. You can do that by, if you're tech savvy, there's a QR code that you can scan and fill out some information online, or we have a connection card out there in the foyer. You can take a moment and fill that out. Um, we would greatly appreciate it. Just want to give you an update on, on two things that um, will benefit. One of them may benefit all of you or some of you, the other one as well. Um, if you're watching online or if you ever miss and you're watching online, we actually have a new camera um, now, which the, the picture will be clear when they zoom in. It won't be as grainy, but it also allows us to cover more of the sanctuary. So if our kids are doing a play and they got to be over here, we can now actually get to see them. And so um, that, that's, you may notice that if you're watching online. And the other thing is we've updated our online giving platform. We were using Square, and there were some issues with that. And so we're using um, a company now which is actually integrated into Realm, which is um, a software, an app that we use as a church. So you can give online now. So just a couple things about that. One, you can now give online. If you go to our website, nbcnoonan.org, you can give by credit card, debit card, or now you can give directly through your checking account. So they can just debit rather than sending a check or writing a check, you can do that. You can set up recurring payments. Um, if that's something that you're interested in, they'll just automatically do it. And the other thing that you can now do is anytime you give online, the church has to eat the service charge. So now you can choose there to help offset that service charge. If you give through your bank account, it's only 1%. 
You can choose, hey, I'll give an extra $8, $3, or you can ignore that. If you give through your credit card, it's 2.88%, um, and so that's an option for you. If you want to give a little bit extra to help the church and the service charge, you can. If not, um, we won't know. We won't track you down and, and find you and shake you or anything like that. So, um, But that's just an option. The recurring giving is something I know somebody asked about last week. If you give online, that's helpful. If you don't give online, you can just ignore what I just said. So um, we just wanted you to be aware of that. Well, today begins um, our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. I'll give you the gold next week. You can begin to give next week. But this week is the week of prayer. So thanks to some of our kiddos who were here yesterday during the IF gathering, which went extremely well. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you to all of you ladies who planned that, organized that. Um, we had some kids help me stuff the bulletins. So everybody in their bulletins should have one of these. This is a guide for this week. Every day, I want to encourage you to pray through the daily prayer um, as it's a week of prayer. But this morning, we have a video we want you to see, and then I'll come lead us in a time of prayer. They see him here. They see him here. And they see him here. We know it because he said it. Jesus said, the world will see him when the world sees us. That's why together we do this. We give so that those who've not yet seen can see. It means something when the world sees how we give. It means something because we do not look the same. It means something because we do not sound the same. It means something because when we give, this is what the world sees. They see the gospel doing what the world cannot. They see the gospel making us one. And so, we give. We give so that missionaries can go. We give so that churches can be started, hurts can be healed, and truth can be shared. We give so the world might see Jesus in us. United as one. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come and we just want to say thank you. We've sung about your goodness. Father, this morning we're going to begin a series when we just take a closer look at salvation. This morning, the truth of redemption. That Jesus, you save. Your goodness and your kindness that saves wretches like me. It's all of you, God. It's all by grace. So this morning, we just rest in that salvation. We are united. The theme of the Annie Armstrong Easter offering this year, we are united. United around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everywhere we go, God, we have the opportunity to take Jesus with us. To live out this changed, transformed life where people can see how Jesus not only has saved us, but just transforms who we are. And that he can save and transform and rescue them out of their sin and out of their bondage to sin and death and Satan, just as he has rescued us. Father, every week, over the next five weeks, we're going to watch videos that will zero in on some missionaries, church planters that are supported through 
the International Mission Board and directly our giving to Annie Armstrong. And Father, having watched those videos, one thing that just really stuck out to me is the amount of times these missionaries in pockets of the United States, even in Canada or in North America, talk about the lack of access to the gospel in some of these places. Father, being from the South and being here in Georgia, in the Bible Belt, we see churches on every corner. And we know that not all those churches are following you. They're not all preaching the gospel. We recognize that. But, but at some point, maybe they were. But God, there are places in our own land where there are not churches on every corner. Where, where you can drive, one guy says, for two hours and not see a gospel-preaching church. We need the gospel here. Our neighbors need the gospel. Our co-workers need the gospel. Our peers at school need the gospel. And maybe somebody this morning in this room or watching online needs the gospel. You are the God who saves and redeems. And we pray that you'll do that right here, right now in our midst. Allow us, to be, allow us to see your hand that reaches down into our sin and our darkness and our ignorance and our foolishness to rescue, out, to rescue us out of that and to transfer us into the kingdom of the beloved Son where there is redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Father, you are holy, holy, holy. How great thou art. May we magnify your name now as we continue to worship. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together.
God, isn't he? Amen for that.
Thank you, choir. Hey, on your way down, it's so good to see Miss Wanda with us today. Her and her husband, Lanny, were in a car accident several weeks ago, and God was watching over them. And so this is her first Sunday back with us. She does have to have surgery on Tuesday. You saw her arm bandaged up, so just be praying uh, for her on Tuesday. All right, at this time, uh, our youngest Kiddos are going to make their way out to Children's Church. K through second, you're staying in here with us today. Um, but the other kiddos are pre-K. They can make their way to Children's Church. Everybody else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. So our youth are out there in the fellowship hall working on boxing up your, your barbecue meals, and so you may begin to smell, some of you on that side, you may begin to smell it coming in. You may hear some noise as they're talking and trying to get that figured out. So um, let's just pay attention the best we can if you're beginning to smell that barbecue. I know that may be hard. Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 14. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saves a wretch like me. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For the next seven weeks, we are going to look at the glorious doctrine of salvation. Now, sometimes as Christians, we use big words. Now, they're biblical words, but they're big words. Words that unbelievers, lost people, probably don't know what we mean, and if we're honest, words that some Christians may not even know what they mean. Words like redemption or regeneration, conversion, justification, sanctification, adoption, glorification. Right? Each of these words is filled with truth and life-changing meaning. 
But do we really understand these truths? Could we explain these truths to someone if they asked? And do we know how these truths impact our lives on a daily basis? So as we go through these next seven weeks, each week taking a biblical truth or an aspect of salvation that helps us understand salvation more clearly, we have three goals. Three goals. Number one is that you and I understand each of these biblical truths, that we understand them, that we understand what we mean when we say regeneration or to be born again, that we understand what that means or that we understand what justification means or what it means to be justified before God so that we, so that we know them and understand them. The second goal is that we then can communicate and articulate these truths with others. So whether you're sitting down with your eight-year-old at dinner or whether you're talking to an unbeliever, that you can articulate what these truths, these biblical doctrines mean. That you can explain to somebody what we mean by conversion, of repentance, of believing in Jesus, repenting of sin and believing in Jesus. Or that we could, that we could explain what we mean by glorification. What does that mean? That we can explain what that means. And then the third the third goal is this, that we know how these truths impact our lives on a daily basis. So you take the doctrine of sanctification. How does sanctification impact you on a daily basis? That you're set apart, already set apart, holy unto the Lord, but you're to become more like Jesus every day. Or the glorious truth of adoption. How does adoption shape the way you see life, the way you understand life, that you were an orphan separated from God, but he has brought you through Jesus into the family of God through adoption. So our text this morning is Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. So would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy, authoritative, and inspired word. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, this is the word of the Lord. He has delivered us. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. In these two verses, we read these words. <clears throat> delivered. Delivered. Redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Thank you. Deliverance. Redemption. The forgiveness of sins. The word delivered, it's the Greek word, it means to rescue from danger. To rescue from danger with the implication that the danger in question is severe and acute. So, right, we have redemption. I think these words, may, the definitions may appear on the screen, possibly. Um, the Greek word means to rescue from danger with the implication that the danger in question is severe and acute. So we've been delivered. We have the word redemption, which means to release or set free. To secure the release or recovery of persons by the payment of a price. By the payment of a price. And then we have forgiveness. Forgiveness, which means to remove the guilt resulting from wrongdoing. Three incredible and life-changing truths that Paul speaks here. Delivered. Redeemed. Forgiven. Three incredible, life-changing truths. If... You recognize that you need salvation and a Savior. If you 
don't think you need a Savior, then salvation means absolutely nothing to you. Because what do you need to be saved from? It, it was years ago, I was pastoring my first church, Durban Memorial in Lexington, and every year around the 4th of July, we would gather um, at a couple's house. They, they had some land, they had a really nice pool, and so we would go there 4th of July, we'd have the hot dogs, the hamburgers, we would swim, they would do fireworks, it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of kids in the pool on this particular day that we were gathering, they were swimming, when all of a sudden, there was a panic. So one of the, the young girls, she was too big to do it, but she tried. And she was in one of those floaties. It's flat. Like you can put babies or young infants in it. Their legs slide. It's kind of go down through the holes, a little mesh, and it just holds them up. That way mama doesn't have to hold them the whole time. And so she put her legs in there, and she was too big for it, and it flipped her over. And because it's meant to keep you afloat, when it flipped her over, she couldn't flip back over. She was drowning. Thankfully, her dad was alert, paying attention. He jumped in, got her up, took her out of the water, and she was fine. We don't know how long she was under the water, but he was very alert. Now, in that moment, she needed somebody to rescue her. Had nobody seen, she would have died. She would have drowned. She could not. She was not strong enough to turn herself the right way up. But her dad jumps in the water, swims to her quickly, picks her up. His daughter is grateful. His wife is grateful. He is grateful. Everyone around him is grateful because we understood if nobody rescued her, she would have died. Now imagine she was in two feet of water. And she's standing, no danger, she's having fun, and all of a sudden, the dad acts in a panic, jumps in the water, scoops her up, and takes her to the the side of the pool the daughter probably would not have been like thanks dad she probably would have been like dad what is wrong with you you're embarrassing me like i'm fine i wasn't in danger all of us would have been like dude what were you doing like that was we're just having fun why'd you get all serious and ruin the moment right but it mattered because she needed rescuing you and i needed a savior Paul is writing to a people who needed a deliverer, needed a rescuer. They needed forgiveness. And when you understand that, salvation changes your life. So to understand the glory of salvation, we need to understand who we are as sinners apart from Christ. Now I'm going to give you four things. Here's the reality. Most of us in this room know these in our head. But do we know these in our heart? Do we really know who we are, if you are without Christ now, or who we were apart from Christ? Because to know this makes the salvation that Paul speaks of, the redemption that he speaks of, all the more amazing. So apart from Christ, number one, we deserve death. It says, for the wages of sin is death. What you deserved is not life. What you deserved is death. Because your creator creates you, makes you in his image, makes you to know him, to worship him, to reflect him, and instead, you rebel against him. You disobey, willingly. Now, your sin nature is passed on to you from Adam and throughout every generation, so you are born a sinner, but then you also sin. And what you deserve is death. That's all that you deserve. You also, secondly, deserve God's wrath. Apart from Christ, as a sinner, you deserve his judgment. You are rightly condemned for your sin. 
I read this week of a lady who approached a preacher, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan. And she said, Dr. Morgan, I don't like to hear about the blood. There's a lot of people today who don't want to hear about the blood of Jesus. She said, it is repulsive to me and defends my aesthetic nature. Dr. Morgan replied, I agree with you that it is repulsive. But the only thing repulsive about it is your sin and mine. It's not repulsive that Jesus died. What's repulsive is your sin. That he had to die for sinners who willingly rebelled against him. You deserve death. You deserve God's wrath. Third, apart from Jesus, we are separated from God. You are, Ephesians says, without God and therefore without hope. You're cut off from God. And here's the reality. You can't return to God on your own. We have people, who, even people who say they believe in Jesus. The reality is they are trying not to trust in Jesus for salvation, but they're trying to get to Jesus through their own works. They're still relying on themselves. And hear me, if you do not know Jesus and you think that you can be saved or forgiven because of who you are, you are sadly and you will be eternally mistaken because you cannot work your way to God the Father. But thankfully, the Father came to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. We're separated from God. And lastly, we are enslaved to sin and to Satan's kingdom. It talks about here that we're delivered from the domain of darkness, that domain of darkness. Darkness is often associated with evil and with Satan in the Scriptures. And so we are in the domain, the dominion, under the domain of Satan. We can't set ourselves free. We are enslaved. We are enslaved in bondage to sin, in bondage to Satan, and we cannot set ourselves free. When you understand that, that you are sinners, dead, deserving the wrath of God, cut off from God, in bondage to sin and Satan, that makes Christ's saving work all the more amazing. That he didn't come to save a bunch of good people like you and me. He came to save a wretch like you and me. Not people who were partially lost or partially blind, but were completely blind and dead, and he came to us. And so let's consider Christ's saving work of sinners for a moment. Let's think about redemption. I was reading this week through every the the theological book that I had, um, and I was coming across um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones got a big, thick book that deals three different books into one, and he had an entire chapter devoted to redemption, and he mentioned nine or ten things about redemption, and so I just pulled out four. Four, because I thought it was a great summary of redemption. What is redemption? So these will be on the screen, number one. Redemption, this is key, is entirely of God. Redemption is entirely of God. When we think about redemption, we are talking about Christ's saving work through his perfect life, his death, burial, and resurrection. Christ's saving work that's viewed as him buying back sinners. He's the ransom that he buys us out of our bondage and he sets us free. He delivers us from our bondage to sin. He delivers us from our bondage to Satan. That's what he says. He has delivered us. And this is key. It is God's redemption of man. It is not man seeking after God. Because none of us 
seek after God. We are content to live in our sin. We aren't interested in working our way to God. It is not do this to please the God that you have offended, and maybe he will spare you, and maybe he will show you favor. Redemption is about what God has done to reconcile us to himself. It is he who has delivered us from darkness and transferred us into light. It is he who has delivered us from slavery and has given us freedom. It is he who has delivered us from condemnation to forgiveness, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Hear me, redemption is all of God. That's number one. Number two, salvation is all of grace. Here's what you bring to the table. You bring your rebellion and your disobedience and your rejection of God. You and I are arrogant and we are foolish and we are undeserving. That's what you bring and it is God who delivers us. It is God who sets us free. It is God who forgives us of our sins. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And it is only by grace and only through faith in Jesus alone. And so it is all of God. It is all of grace. Number three, and I really thought this one was helpful. The absolute certainty of the consummation of this plan of redemption. There is an already, but not yet, aspect when it comes to salvation. Paul talks about this in 1 Peter, I read last week, that we've been born again to a living hope. That's the already. That right now, through Jesus, you have a living hope. But then he talks about an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, that it's guarded, that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that you and I aren't experiencing yet. We're still here living in a sinful world among sinful people. But there's a promise that there is an inheritance that one day you will receive. And so we may struggle sometimes thinking, man, Jesus, are you ever going to come? Is this redemption ever going to be finalized? Are we ever going to experience the consummation of what you promised in Scripture? And the answer is a resounding yes. Yes. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 says this. He entered once for all, that's Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places. This is taking you back to the Old Testament. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, right? The priest would take the blood of the goats and the calves. They'd enter into the Holy of Holies once a year on the atonement. They would offer up the blood, but these sacrifices were ongoing. They were perpetual, but this is what Hebrews 9 says. But Jesus secures this redemption not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, listen, thus securing an eternal redemption. It is eternal. The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament were temporary and repetitive, but Christ's death on the cross secures redemption forever. Amen? Amen. It's a reality. It's a fact. You don't have to question. Jesus is coming for his bride. He's going to make all things new. He's going to give us the glorified bodies. We're going to live forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. It's a guarantee. We're just waiting for the bridegroom to come for his people. We can have that confidence. And lastly, the great plan of redemption always centers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard David this morning talking uh, in his Sunday school class 
about how to understand right salvation in the New Testament, you have to understand the Old Testament. So when we talk about redemption, when we talk about these things in the New Testament, you can go back to the Old Testament and you can see that the Old Testament is pointing to the New Testament. You have to have an understanding of the Old Testament. So you have a covenant in the Old Testament. God makes a promise to different people that he'll be their God, they'll be his people, and then he fulfills that in the new covenant with Jesus. You go to the Old Testament, you have the sacrificial system. It's all pointing to Jesus. Otherwise, for all eternity, we'd be offering up these sacrifices over and over and over. But Jesus dies once for all for the forgiveness of sins, for all time. He doesn't have to be offered up over and over. You think about the law. The law was never designed to save us. That was not its purpose. The law was designed to show you your inability to keep it. Now, that doesn't change the fact that God's holy and God has commandments to work to follow. You just can't do it. You'll never be able to do it. But good news, Jesus did, amen? He kept it fully and completely, and so now our hope is in Christ, and His righteousness is given to us. We understand the offices, prophet, priest, and king, and how Jesus fulfills all of those offices. The Old Testament is the preparation for Christ's coming. The Old Testament is the promise of Christ's coming. The Old Testament is the prophecy of Christ's coming. And so we're, they're longing, they're looking for the Savior, and then He comes. His name is Jesus. And He says in Matthew 20, verse 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the ransom. It required a price for your redemption. It required a price for you to be set free, for you to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. And the price was the very life of Jesus. He died in your place so that He could purchase your freedom, purchase your salvation, reconcile you to God the Father. Graham Goldsworthy in his book writes, Redemption is a supernatural act of salvation worked by God for a people powerless to help themselves. They're powerless. You think back to the Old Testament. We're going we're gonna to go there in a minute. But you think of Israel as they're standing before the Red Sea and the Egyptian army breathing down their neck. They are helpless. And if God in His mighty power doesn't part the Red Sea, the people of God die right there. But God's power saves and rescues His people. And our rescue today isn't from a physical people or from the waters that would drown us. Jesus rescues us from an eternity in hell cut off from the Father. And He delivers us and He rescues us. And so that brings us to application. What I want to do every week, and I want to spend some time every week, after we define, after we see what the Bible says about this, that Jesus saves, Jesus rescues, Jesus delivers us from slavery to sin and to Satan and gives us that freedom, I want to ask the question, so what? How does this impact us on a daily basis? And to do that, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. Because when the readers would have heard redemption, they would have two things in mind. One, and, and I said this back in Ephesians 1, 7 when it talks about redemption there. One, they would have had in mind, right, slavery in Rome. 
Because slavery in Rome was a booming business. And, and many people were enslaved. And so what could happen is somebody could take a redemption price, they could buy a slave for themselves only to set them free. They paid the ransom. They paid the money. They are now theirs. And rather than keeping them as a slave, they set them free. So they would have had that in mind. But primarily, redemption for them would have been grounded and rooted in the Old Testament. Specifically, God's delivering Israel from slavery in Egypt. So much so that every year, God had set it up that the people would celebrate the Passover as a memorial of God's delivering Israel from Egypt. You remember, God sends a series of ten plagues. God comes to Moses, and he uses Moses, and Moses, right, becomes the human instrument through that the God will act through to redeem his people. Moses is the human instrument. God's doing the redeeming. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, and after a series of ten plagues, Pharaoh says, fine, go. And you remember the tenth plague? It was the death of the firstborn of every Egyptian family, every household. Somebody died. God spares Israel. How? By taking the blood and putting it on the doorpost. Listen, if God doesn't tell Israel that, if God doesn't instruct Israel as to what they are to do, then every firstborn in Israel would have died as well. But God spares Israel through the blood of these animals so that the angel passes over that home and everyone in that home is spared. And that's what happens. And he sets them free, they leave, then you come to the army and the water, right? You know the story. But I want to go back a little bit to the beginning of that. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, because I want to point out three things to you, and then we're going to apply that to us. So Exodus chapter 6, 6 through 9. This is before Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. This is God making a covenant with his people. So Exodus chapter 6, 6 through 9. Exodus chapter 6, 6 through 9. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I, notice the I, I, I'm the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. Look at this. And I will, what's the word? Redeem. That's redemption. I will redeem you with act, with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, right? So the people of God through Joseph and God's provision wind up in Egypt. They become a numerous people. The Pharaoh that was gracious to Joseph dies. There's a new Pharaoh in town. He becomes oppressive and mean. He enslaves the people. They're crying out to God and God who made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Here's his people and he says, I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will continue to be your God and you will be my people. So that's what he does. And when the people are delivered, out of, the exodus takes place and they're delivered. I read this week where somebody said the end of the exodus is to result in freedom, faith, and celebration. As the people are delivered from Egypt, now what? What do they do? Their response should be freedom. They're no longer under the thumb of the Pharaoh. They are now free to walk with God 
to hear the commandments of God, to fellowship with God, to be their own people. There's freedom. And then they are to respond in faith. They have seen act after act after act of God's mighty right hand. And they should live in faith. Their trust should grow in this God. They should fellowship with this God. They should worship this God. And then it should result in celebration, which we'll see in just a moment in Exodus 15. And so I read that and I thought, man, that's a good summary of how they should have responded out of the Exodus, but how redemption should also impact your life and mine on a daily basis. We've been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. So now what? Well, number one, there's freedom. Brothers and sisters, in Christ you are free. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You are free. Some of you came to Christ at a later age. So when you came to Christ, you were enslaved to drugs or enslaved to a sex addiction or enslaved to maybe depression or suicidal thoughts. And these things were overwhelming you and you cried out to Jesus in that moment of desperation, Jesus saves me and he saved you and he set you free. So why would we, as men and women who have been set free, be so quick to run right back to the sin that enslaved us, to the sin that controlled us, to the sin that was destroying us, because Jesus has set us free. How many times, brothers and sisters, when you read the Exodus account, do you see the people of God longing to go right back to Egypt? How quick they were to forget what God had rescued them from. How quickly we forget what Jesus has rescued us from. And so we don't want to return to that legalism. We don't want to return to the man-made commandments by keeping them. We think we can save ourselves. We want to rest in the gospel that we need every day. But second, faith. The people of God were to walk with God. They were to trust God. They were to worship God. They had seen him do these miracles. And over and over, what do you see with the people of God in the Old Testament? You see them quickly abandon the worship of the one true God to worship false gods and false idols. And you quickly see them complaining and grumbling about their circumstances. I read that this week. I'm working my way through the Old Testament. Exodus 16.8 says this, Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Anybody else, if you're honest, when you're reading that, you just don't want to smack those guys upside the back of the head. It's like, what is wrong with you? It's like all that you have seen God do. Like, I like to think, man, if I saw God turn water into blood or like all their livestock's dying, but mine are fine and they've got all the frogs and the, the gnats and all that and we're just over here living life to the fullest. And then you see the, 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 the water part or the manna falling from heaven or the water coming out of the rock. I'd like to think, I'd be like, okay, God, I believe I'm all in. No more complaining and grumbling out of me. But here's what, here's what that verse says. When we complain and when we grumble, we're not really complaining against other people or even in our circumstances. We're really complaining against God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ has set you free. He paid the price. You were bought with the price. Therefore, you owe your life. I owe my life to Jesus Christ. Whatever he says, I'm to do. I'm all in because he redeemed me. 
We are to walk in faith. We are to walk in trust. And whenever we complain or grumble, we aren't walking in faith. But rather we are questioning God, doubting God, or complaining against God. That's what it is when we complain and grumble. We're saying, God, I think you could do this a little bit better. I would do it this way. And we're questioning God. But we are to walk in freedom. We are to walk in faith because we have been redeemed out of slavery. And then lastly, there is to be celebration. There is to be celebration for we have been redeemed. Exodus 15, let me just read. Right after the crossing of the Red Sea, they get it right. They begin to praise the Lord. It's called the Song of Moses. Let me just read quickly some of these verses. Verse 1, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode verse 17 and 18 you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain the place O lord which you have made for your abode the sanctuary O lord which your hands have established the lord will reign forever and ever listen everyone in this room you are either in one of two places you are either presently lost and dead in your sins or you once were lost and dead in your sins but you have been redeemed through the blood of the lamb and if you have been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, and you understand it's all of God and all by grace, and you deserve none of it, then your response ought to be one of celebration, of jubilation. And I'm not talking just about an emotional response. I'm talking with all of our heart, we sing of the redeemed. We sing of His grace and His mercy and His salvation, and we celebrate it. And we celebrate it when other people come to know Jesus as redeemer what's the song we sing redeemed how i love to proclaim it is that not part of celebration that which you celebrate you will share with others whether it is the birth of your child and you're having a birthday party whether it is a graduation party whether it is an anniversary party whether for some of you praise the lord it's a retirement party like, you want people to come. You want people to celebrate. I don't got to go to work no more. Like, you celebrate those things. Brothers and sisters, we have been redeemed. It's worth celebrating, amen? But it also better be worth proclaiming. And there are people who are under the wrath of God, who are dead in their sin, who are enslaved to sin and Satan, and who are going to hell. And we are the redeemed. And they need to hear that they too, by repentance of their sins and faith in Jesus Christ, can be saved and rescued like you and me. Will we tell them if we believe the redemption that we speak of, we don't have a choice but to tell them that they too can be redeemed by the one who has rescued us. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? This morning, maybe you are here and you do not know the redemption that I speak of. 
You do not know what it looks like to repent of your sins, to believe in the name of Jesus. You don't know what it means to be born again, for your life to be transformed or changed. You are dead in your sins, and you know it. You feel the weight of it this morning. You've denied it. You've run from it long enough. This morning, the plea to you, the message to you, is would you just cry out to the name of Jesus. Jesus, save me, a sinner. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Lord and that God raised him from the dead, if you believe in Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, if you are in the lost, I'm an unbeliever, I don't know Jesus, would you give your life to Jesus this morning? If you have experienced the grace and the mercy of Jesus, you've, you've given your life to him, you've cried out to him as Savior, then this morning, the challenge for you and I is, are we walking in freedom? What sin is currently enslaving you that you need to cry out, Lord Jesus, I'm confessing this sin, I'm turning from this sin, and I'm asking you to release and deliver me from this sin because you saved me to walk in freedom. Would you identify that sin? Would you confess that sin if necessary? Will you come and bow before the Lord and pray and just say, Jesus, I'm giving this to you. Deliver me and heal me as I walk with you. This morning, are you walking in faith? Are you growing in your understanding of the Lord? Are you trusting him? Would you say, no, pastor, I find myself bitter. I find myself angry with the Lord. I find myself questioning the Lord. Would you just come back to the reality that the, the one who loves you, redeemed you, saves you, and he is with you right now. He has promised to be your God. He is not failing. Maybe you're not walking with him, and you need to repent of that, and you need to seek counsel, seek help, seek godly wisdom. And then lastly, are you celebrating? Are you finding great joy in the fact that God has rescued sinners like us? And is that celebration and that rejoicing causing you to begin to say, Lord, help me to see with clear eyes who is an unbeliever, who is lost, and would you bring them into my path so that I can begin to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? Because I want them to know the hope and the joy and the eternal life that has been brought in my life through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Father, as we come to you, we thank you for how deep your love is for us. Thank you for redeeming us. We know the price. It was your son, Jesus. Thank you for that, God. And now we pray that you would speak, that you would draw men and women to you, that you would convict us, bring about repentance, deepen our faith in you, and may we just celebrate what you have done for us in Jesus. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand in response to the message? Will you sing? Will you respond as the Lord leads you? How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He only son to make a wretch's treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which by the chosen one bring many sons to Behold the man upon a cross, 
Amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated for just a moment. Man, I love when the Lord and His providence and sovereignty takes a sermon and lines it up with the song, and it was not planned by us, but the Lord did it. So we finished by talking about He is our ransom who has redeemed us from our sins. All right, just a couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Don't forget, um, next Sunday, I guess, ne- yeah, next early Sunday morning, we spring ahead. So uh, you lose an hour. I do apologize for that. But we still expect you to be here, ready to celebrate and worship the Lord as we look at regeneration, what it looks like to be born again. Uh, there's an announcement in there about our Awana schedule for next Sunday, which is our Grand Prix. Always a lot of fun. Parents night out at Northside. Look over that announcement if you have kiddos and you're interested in that. Or um, if you want to help with that, if you are interested in signing your kids up for Parents Night Out, I believe those papers are out there on the clipboard. You just take one of those, fill it out. You can bring it back next week. You have next, the next two weeks to register for that and to pay the $5 per child. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, there's an announcement in there about uh, we're planning, hoping to go to Ecuador, uh, but we have to have a certain number of people to do that at the end of June. So if you're interested or have questions, please um, see Mark, an announcement about Vacation Bible School. All right, and so lastly, um, it's time for us to dismiss with a word of prayer in just a moment um, and eat some good food. So if you um, are able, we'd encourage you to stick around. Um, everything that you give this morning is going towards our youth who are going to Snowbird Camp. So they've been working, they've been serving um, doing that. So when you leave, you turn to the left, the stuff should be boxed up.